Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in our recent past, we have welcomed the newborn king into the world. We have watched as the shepherds and the angels and the magi all sought to put themselves into the presence of Christ. We do that today as we come together to worship and to celebrate and then seek to do that every day for the rest of our lives. Let's take this journey together. We are so glad you're here. Come on in. This is the first reading. It's from Exodus 21 through 17. Then God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You should not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But rested the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and mother so that your day may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female slave, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. So our passage today is John 2, verses 13 through 22. This is Jesus cleansing the temple. Now, in John's account, this happens at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. In the other gospels, it happens at the end. Um, so it begins right here in chapter 2. And because this is a familiar story, I'm going to ask for your help telling the story. So the first couple of verses, so I'm, I'm going to break you in to two. This side, you are cattle, sheep, and doves. So that can be moo, that can be ba, that can be coo or tweet, whatever sound a dove makes, whatever cattle you want, you make that sound. 
and I'll split y'all right here in the middle. And cattle this way. So let me hear it. And there was cattle in the temple. Okay, all right, all right, good. And everybody from here over, you are making sounds of the money changers. And the way that that happens is the word ting. T-I-N-G, that is the sound of the coin hitting the plate. So you go ting, 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 because you're dropping all your coins in. So let me hear it this side over. Keep going, cattle. Okay, and I will stop you at the proper time. So let's listen again with fresh ears. The story of Jesus cleansing the temple, John 2, 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves and the money changers seating at their table. Keep going. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing what you just did? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well done, animals and money changers. So there was a man whose name was Leopold Paul Page. He was a survivor of Nazi concentration camps in World War II. After a significant amount of time had passed, he felt like he wanted his story told. Because you see, he was alive because of a man named Oscar Schindler. If that sounds familiar to you, it is what the movie was based on from 1994. How many people have seen Schindler's List? Good, good. If, if you haven't, I, I invite you and recommend that to you. Uh, it's awful, uh, but necessary and important. Um, but there are uh, amazing, heartwarming parts of that. And one of those are the people that were saved from Oscar Schindler. Oscar Schindler was a Roman Catholic. He was a businessman and started doing what he was doing to help Jews. As long as they were working for him, they were out of the camps. 
And Paul Page was one of these and survived because of that. And so he wanted that story to be told. And so he continued to try to talk with people to get the story told. And eventually he ran, well, he ran a business and into his store came Thomas Keneally or Keneally, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say that. And he, Page knew he was an author, and so he cornered him, told him his amazing story, and would he consider writing the story of Oscar Schindler and these 900 Jews that were saved? And he agreed. He thought it was a compelling story and wind up writing the book. And it was the zeal and the persistence of Page who got that through, but they weren't done yet. Somehow, through friends of friends, Paige was able to come and meet Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, who was fresh off of Jurassic Park and his success there. And when Paul Page met Spielberg, he said, it's time to stop playing with the dinosaurs. I need you to make this movie which is not how I would approach Steven Spielberg. But he did, and Spielberg listened. He said, Paul told him, you will win an Oscar if by telling this story about Oscar Schindler. And we all know Spielberg did, won seven Oscars, including Best Picture that year. And it was because of the persistence of this survivor who felt like this story had to be told and he would not stop until people listened to him and he got this done, his zeal and his persistence. As we look at this familiar story, there's a lot of things going on here. First and foremost, as Vicki said, Jesus gets mad. This is a very human moment for Jesus, showing emotion and anger. Well, isn't anger bad, preacher? It's not. It's bad only to the point where it begins to harm others in your life and yourself from the inside out. There is righteous anger. It wasn't that there were cows and doves and sheep, and that the money changers were happening. All of those things were necessary to make the proper sacrifices and switch the coins out to make them acceptable to use for coinage in the temple. It's that they were inside the temple walls and they were in the court of the Gentiles. Now, think for a second. The Jews have given inside the walls of the temple a whole space for Gentiles, non-Jews who want to come and worship but haven't converted to Judaism or to come see what this is about, to participate, to get some sense of this understanding of what temple is. And they were barred from the inside, but they were still given some access, which I think is pretty forward thinking for our Jewish friends. Back through the Torah and our experience, their experience, at times, Gentiles, and by Gentiles, I mean non-Jews, were seen as being unclean because they ate unclean things. They worshiped unclean uh, uh, multiple gods. They did unclean things. 
that violated those holiness codes. And so there were times when Gentiles were not able to have interaction or you couldn't be with. But here in Jesus's time, they have made a spot for them. Except what's in their spot? Cows, sheep, doves, money changers. Did you see the Pharisees were old school legalistic? They did not want them in that space. And so what did they do? They drove the Gentiles out by bringing these, this marketplace in so that it was nearly impossible them, for them to worship in the way that they were coming to try to do. And there's no reason all this could have been done outside of the walls. People were coming in and out of the gates. And so Jesus gets mad. And he does a violent act. Doesn't harm anyone. And everybody says, ho, ho, ho. What are you doing? Why? What authority are you doing this? And he goes on to confound them further. In three days, we will tear this down and in three, this temple down and in three days, it will rise up again. This temple, he says, which of course, as Jesus often does, he speaks on a level here and we understand it, but what he means is somewhere up here. There is a kingdom of God. There is a heavenly, there is a greater spiritual understanding to the basic things at that time. And of course they said, well, what do you mean? This temple has been being built for 46 years. Herod the Great really started to make this temple beautiful and added on to pieces of it. And it wasn't finished yet. It wouldn't be finished until 68. And then two years later, it would be destroyed by the Romans. But most of it is done at this point. And of course, they said, well, you can't do that. What do you mean you can raise it in three days after tearing it down? But of course, then we know Jesus was talking about his body at the crucifixion and the resurrection. But Jesus gets angry, turns it over. Who was that directed at? The good church folks of his day. Who was that directed to? The good church leadership of the day. And so, so my first question is, what table would Christ come into your heart and turn over because something isn't right or because we're not doing something in the way that we know we should? Part of the love of Christ and the whole work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us when we have gone astray. What would Jesus find unacceptable in your heart and your life and turn over the table? Now, notice he didn't say, all of y'all are going to hell forever. We are done. You have no part of me. You're all cut off. He turns over the table to make his point, get their attention, and they got it. But he does not withhold his grace from them, nor does Christ with you were you to think in your life, in your heart, what table would Christ turn over and find unacceptable as someone who says they follow and are a believer? And the next one, what would Christ turn over in our church 
were he to walk in on a Sunday, what table at First Presbyterian Church would he turn over? Mm, that is a question we need to think about. What are we doing in a manner that is not acceptable or what are we not doing that's a basic charge of church and disciples? We need to answer those questions. All of that comes to a point where Jesus brings up to the disciples this idea of zeal, zeal. The simple definition of zeal is enthusiasm, eagerness, when we bring it into the Christian world, it's a burning desire to do God's will, to please God, to follow Christ, a burning desire. It's a level deeper in my understanding than passion. Just as happiness is great and I wish it for all of you, but it's often fleeting, it comes and it goes. Whereas joy has the depth of being connected to Christ to know that this journey is never alone, that Christ is with us in this life and the next, that is what brings us joy. Passion is the same as I understand zeal. Passion is great, passion moves us. We may weep, we may laugh, but it is zeal, it becomes zeal when we take action and we do something. Jesus could have said in a very passionate speech, a very passionate sermon. Stop doing what you were doing. Listen, here's what I have to say to you. And that would have been it. But he told them, and then he went from passion to zeal when he turned over the table. Zeal is something that is a neutral term. Sometimes people get too zealous Simon the Zealot was a disciple. He was a part of a group at that time who vowed to get rid of Rome as an occupying force in Jerusalem and to do so with military might, with action. Not negotiation, not diplomacy, but with action. That is zeal, being zealous. Paul was zealous for the law as well as his own Jewish faith and then for Christ. How do we know that? Because we saw what he did and so the questions continue to remain, what does the outside world, what would they say we at First Pres are zealous about? Meaning what can they observe us doing? How and are we in the community? Do they see that? How are we living as a people of faith? Or what we don't want to be is lukewarm that complacent, comfortable place where we neither push too hard, we receive everything that's given, but we just keep it in our head and in our hearts. It is our job to be zealots for Christ. That means to be taking action in a way that the community sees it in its past passion. It is the next step. So think, what is it that is unacceptable to you in your heart, in this sanctuary, in the city, in the nation, and in the world? What table do you have to turn over so that 
Christ's will is being done. Those are the tables that we are being called to explore in this third Sunday of Lent. Our own house, but yet the one that we serve here and in the world as well. What tables do you need to turn over in your own life? What do we need to do as a church? And what is unacceptable in the community that we must become zealots for? This is our call. This is our journey. Let us be courageous and do so. Hallelujah. Amen.